right, thank you, Angie. How many wanted to keep those dollars? Yeah, I knew. <laughs> Oh, yes, sir. Well, thank you. Oh, I see Diet Mountain Dew, yeah. Make her come up, Roger. Let me read this. Uh, Thank, thank you all so much. Says, you are a pastor devoted to giving us so much. God only knows all the souls you have touched. You're committed to serve when you answer God's call. You prove it by being a servant to us all. Thank you for all that you do for us, your Crossroads Children Ministries. And thank you all so much for all the blessings you give to us. It's a blessing to be... Oh, I got Nutter Butters, too. I, Nutter Butters, this, there is Nutter Butter pastor for us than you. <laughs> Very clever. Oh, this is cool too. Pastor 2021, where we quarantined and praising from a distance. Crossroads Baptist Church. Thank you all so much. It's a blessing. And I got butterfingers, man. Y'all are fixing to really know me really well here. Read the cup. Read the cup. Pastor Kurt, fueled by the Holy Spirit in Diet Mountain Dew. And no, and Butterfingers, and Nutter Butters. Well, thank you all so much. I'm glad Sheila don't get in my bag. And Sheila's got her own bag. And it says something about her being rotten to the core, so I don't know about that. And I, I didn't write it, I'm just reading it. Yeah, I'm just reading it. So Sheila, I'm sorry. I'm being blessed by the church, and you just curse, so I can't help it. Yeah. All right, well, again, thank you all so much. It's just a pleasure to be here. It's hard to believe we're almost into our full of the second year. I mean, come February, we've been here two full years, and it's really hard to believe. But then again, it just seems like we always should have been together. So it's just a perfect fit. We I mean, thank you so much for all the blessings we have each and every week, and a lot of good things are happening here at Crossroads, and we're blessed from it. Hey, today we're going to be in John, the Gospel of John, in the 11th chapter. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there into John chapter 11. And the last couple of weeks, if you've noticed, we've had messages that have been reminding us about the goodness of God and, and how we are so blessed that we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. And as we've been mentioning that the last couple of weeks, today, in essence, we move just a little bit further. And we recognize then that Jesus is not just our advocate, our supporter, our crusader, our fighter. I mean, he's more than that. And today we recognize that he is the resurrection and the life. In fact, we're going to find in the chapter reading from in chapter 11, verse 25, it is mentioned clearly where Jesus says one of the great I am statements where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In fact, there's one of seven that is written in the Gospel of John. Here they are for you, just so you can understand the, the extent of the seven I am statements. You find in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. In John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. John chapter 10 has two I am statements. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. The one we'll see today in chapter 11 
I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 14, the well-known verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And of course, in chapter 15, I am the true vine. Those are the seven I am statements written and spoken by our Lord in the Gospel of John. And today, as I mentioned, we will come across the fifth of the seven in chapter 11, verse 25. It is actually from an account. As we go back to the account now and begin a reading, you're more than likely going to recognize it rather quickly. You may have already seen by turning there, we're going to be talking today about Lazarus and the raising of Lazarus from the dead. We're not going to read the entire narrative, the entire portion of the account in John chapter 11. In entirety is 44 verses. So rather than reading 44 verses, we're going to read a small portion of it, only John chapter 11, verses 17 through 27. So today, stand with me as we do so to simply honor the reading of the word. And we find then in our word, our guidebook for life, the love letter that we have from our Lord in John chapter 11, starting in verse 17. It says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary, her sister, remained seated in the house. And Martha, verse 21, said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. What Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Well, then Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Well, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Father, Lord, we come before you in your presence now, Lord, having read your word. And we always read it and ask for a blessing to be upon it. We do so again here today. But Lord, now we turn our attention to the truthfulness. It is conveyed in this passage. Yeah, it's a rather long account about a great miracle that occurred. But Lord, your truth speaks to us in the portion that we read. So we, we read this portion now, Lord, and we go into a time of message and reflection. We just ask that your spirit will lead and guide and direct us here today so we clearly understand that you are the resurrection and the life for every one of us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. This in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, well, note from the verses that we read then that Martha seems to be the person of interest. I mean, you've seen Mary's name kind of stuck in there as well. I mean, it's about Martha and Mary and Lazarus, we know. But the portion we read, although the entire narrative points us to a great miracle that occurred with the brother Lazarus being dead, it's a great miracle, but the portion we read kind of has Martha to be the person of interest. Now, to be sure to connect the Gospels, we'll just venture away from John for just a moment 
and leap, if you will, to the Gospel of Luke. Because I want us to see something that is in the Gospels that doesn't clearly tell us, but we need to understand. That the Martha that is mentioned in Luke chapter 10 is the same Martha that's mentioned here now in Luke cha- in John chapter 11. So in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 10, you may turn there, or you just may simply see behind me the verses referring to, is verses 38 through 42. And it's written then in Luke chapter 10 that Jesus came to the house of Martha and her sister Mary. If you know the story there, you may remember that as Jesus visited the house, that Martha made herself very, very busy as Jesus entered the house, cooking, preparing, doing all those kind of things. But Mary, Mary simply sat at the feet of Jesus, given to us in verse 39. She's listening and clinging to every word that is coming from his lips. That then tended to upset Martha quite a bit, as the story gives to us in verses 38 through 42. She got upset that her sister was not helping. So she complained in verse 40 to Jesus about her sister. And it was Jesus replied in verse 41 and 42. He says, Martha, Martha, the same Martha, as we find in chapter 11 of John, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Now, there's a message in itself pertaining to Luke chapter 10, but we only refer to it for us to understand as we link the Gospels together, that is the same Martha and Mary as it is now in John chapter 11 of Martha and Mary. Now, we're not intentionally trying to exclude Mary from our reading and the message today. I mean, to be fair, she is mentioned once in the reading we had, and she's mentioned a whole lot more when you get past verse 27, where we stop this morning. You can read the entire account later and find out how Mary reacts as well. But we are focusing upon Martha, the very same Martha that was found in Luke chapter 10. And now we're focusing upon what she does when she hears and learns about Jesus coming and her brother Lazarus being dead. So in the limited reading that we have, It points us to the most important aspect of the entire story. One of the seven great I am's found in the gospel of John. Here it is again in chapter 11, verse 25. After all these things, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. That is the key verse to the entire chapter to the entire narrative. Yeah, it is indeed a great miracle to bring someone from the dead, to bring them life is indeed a great miracle. We're not dismissing that. But the key to the entire passage is written in verse 25 of the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John, where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. That is a focal point that we want to key upon this morning. But before we do, we go back to the text and pick up where we began today because there is a secondary application for us to receive before we get to the focal point. So go back to the beginning with me in verse 17. And we see here that if somehow, someway, we open our Bibles, you're kind of glancing through it, a 30,000-foot view, and just having to turn in my Bible, if you had it in your hand, to page 1,627. 
Same number in your Bible? It's different? Okay, but if you happen to turn to John chapter 11, and somehow, some way, you didn't begin in chapter 11, verse 1, but somehow leap down to verse 17, you quickly learn, you quickly discern that there is a situation that has occurred. It is with two women who happen to be Martha and Mary. And they have a brother. His name is Lazarus. You, you learn that rather quickly, even if you didn't begin in verse 1. Because verse 17 informs us then, Lazarus by name has been dead for how many days? Four days. So it's not like it just happened. It's been a while that Lazarus has been deceased, that has been dead. Verse 18 even reveals further for us that, well, Jesus is not far away. How far away is Jesus? Two miles. He's nearby in Bethany. Now, if you have the King James Version, it doesn't say two miles. It may say 15 furlongs. I don't measure by a furlong, but I understand it will be about two miles. So we get even more information. Verse 19, that many people have come to the house to help grieve with Martha and Mary. I mean, a side note really here then is it reveals that Lazarus must have been well known because a lot of people seem to be coming. It's not a private period of mourning. In fact, when you read through the entire gospel in chapter 11, you get the sense that nearly the entire community has come to Martha and Mary to comfort them with the loss of their brother. So suffice it to say, a great gathering of people is occurring. But as all that is given, look in verse 20 and 21. Because now we see the narrator tells us all these great important facts. Lazarus has died for four days. It's near, it's near Bethany in Jerusalem, two miles apart. A lot of people have gathered. But verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But yeah, there's Mary's mentioned name now. She remained seated in the house. But verse 21 is important. Martha said to Jesus, as she's met him, as she traveled to meet him, as he coming, she said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So note here that Martha hears, somehow, someway, Martha hears that Jesus is approaching and she runs out to meet him. I don't know, maybe she got a text, okay? We get a lot of communication by text, okay? Maybe she got one somehow, some way, thousands of years ago, before phones even existed. Somehow she learns Jesus is approaching, and she goes to meet him. And as she meets him, she voices, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now note the words of Kent Hughes as he captures this. He said, Martha had evidently been made quietly aware that the Lord was outside Bethany, again, just two miles away. She probably slipped out unobtrusively from the guests of people gathered to home and went to the outskirts of town to meet him. There she stood, pale, grieving, weary, no doubt disheveled. Behind her was the shimmering Palestinian countryside in its heat. Before her, heavy with the dust of travel, were Jesus and his men. 
Now, I borrowed those words of Hughes for you to hear and to see that Martha, very likely, it doesn't say it exactly in the text, but it's, it, it seems to indicate that she just didn't casually take her time to go out to meet Jesus. I mean, it's like I read in the text, it's like she was running the best she could through the heat to get to where Jesus is coming to her house from Bethany, just two miles away. I mean, I can walk a mile in about 15, 20 minutes, maybe even faster if necessary. So in about 40 minutes, I may have traveled two miles. But I get the sense here that Martha is more urgently wanting to meet Jesus. So perhaps she's running through the heat just to see him. I mean, literally running because she's full of grief. She's sad. She's sorrowful. And perhaps weary. As she gets there to meet our Lord. Maybe she's even weary from the lack of sleep for the last four days. But look again as she's going to meet him. She's heard about it. She's going to meet him. Look again in verse 21 that what she said when she finally saw him. Lord, if you had been here, my brother, Lazarus, he would not have died. We're pausing, we're slowing down, we're stopping for just a moment to recognize the words that now Martha is saying to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I can only imagine, as all of this is occurring in their lives, especially the two sisters, Martha and Mary, I can imagine that those words probably have come off their lips several times in the last several days. I mean, their mind constantly playing, what if? What if Jesus had been here? Constantly voicing it to one another, maybe even having thoughts about what would have been different if Jesus would have been here. Now, why I imagine that, that's not entirely speculative to think that they could have been having those what-if moments. If Jesus had been here, my brother would have not died. I mean, it's completely possible that it could have been voicing that for several days. I mean, we don't learn it here, but back in the beginning of this particular chapter, again, you may see it when you read it later, but the narrator tells us that Jesus knew about Lazarus' condition. Look in verse 3 of this chapter. So the sister sent to him, in whatever way that happened, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So Jesus is not dumbfounded by the fact that Lazarus is ill, and news comes later that he has died. Verse 5 and 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. All right? So he learns about it. He doesn't leave immediately when he learns that Lazarus, his friend that he loves, the, the, the sisters, Martha and Mary, that, that are concerned about Lazarus. He doesn't leave immediately. He stays where he is. Okay? So picture, if you will, a couple of sisters, Martha and Mary, who were then eagerly waiting and anticipating for Jesus to arrive at any minute. And they're waiting. And they're waiting, and they're waiting. Because Jesus knew. John tells us Jesus was aware of Lazarus' condition. 
So then notice how as word got to Jesus and the sisters understand he got the word, they're waiting and they're waiting. And all they had to do was to wait. I mean, I toss out how they may have been finding out about text on this condition. But, you know, think about this. There, there was no Facebook back in that day. When we get busy or when we get some time of waiting, I'm like, if you're like me, we hate to wait. And when we get to the point where we have to wait, we'll do anything possible we can to occupy ourselves during that time of waiting. If you go to the doctor, I guarantee you, you're going to do some waiting. How many of us go into the doctor or to the dentist without something we can do when we get there? Have you noticed? They even put magazines out there for you to read while you're waiting. Like they know you're going to wait when you get there. So you have something to read while you're waiting. Or a lot of days now, we don't even get anything from the magazine rack. We just grab our phone and we just are reading through whatever we want to on our phone to occupy our time while we're waiting. But these sisters didn't have anything like that. They had no phone. They had no Facebook. They didn't have a magazine rack waiting for them to read while they're waiting on Jesus to come. So all they could do with their time was wait. I would say rather expectantly and probably very eagerly. But maybe then as we attempt now to put ourselves in their predicament, in their situation, in this text, the waiting maybe so agonizingly long that they and we will begin to wonder, when will the Lord finally get here? Again, look at verse 21 and 22. Martha said to Jesus, you've been waiting. You've been waiting to see him. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But then also look at verse 22, because Martha's words in verse 21, as she meets Jesus, seems very critical, right? It seems very critical and very unfavorable to our Lord. But in verse 22, she quickly adds, but I know, ooh, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. I mean, it's like at first, she just, whatever she was thinking, it was just honest, and she told him. But then she thinks, well, maybe I better ease up a little bit. I mean, this is Jesus. I better ease up a little bit and maybe sound a little more sympathetic. But whatever the situation, now recognize this. Begin to apply that text to me and to you and to our lives. And ask yourself, have you ever felt that way that Martha is feeling now? Have you ever felt that way? Lord, where are you? When will you get here? When will you be here? I need you. I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you actually told Jesus, I need you? Where are you? You're coming way too late. Where were you, Lord, when my loved one died? Where were you, Lord, when my marriage began to fall apart? Where were you, Lord, when my parents got divorced? Where were you, Lord? My father became an alcoholic and abused me. Where were you, Lord, when I got cheated out of my promotion? For that matter, Lord, where were you when my child went astray? 
I mean, I think if we try to put ourselves in Martha's situation, you know, discounting Mary right now, but thinking just about Martha, and, and we've all been there at one moment in our life, waiting and praying and asking, Lord, when will I see you? I need you. Where are you? If we've ever been in a situation, it's likely that we have recognized that we were not the first. And we're probably not going to be the last. I mean, we all know about things that's occurred throughout this entire calendar year. I mean, we're in October. It's like everybody's ready to get 2020 over with. They're ready to see December 31st and start a new year. Why? Because it's been so horrible. Throughout this entire year, things have happened we haven't seen in many years. I mean, people who have had or been diagnosed with COVID, I'm sure they are ready for a new year. For people that we know that have the virus, there are people that we know have been affected by unemployment or financial difficulty and stress. I mean, they may have been in that particular moment saying, Lord, where are you? I need you right now. Especially, perhaps, for those who have had the virus and have a loved one to die. You think they haven't asked, Lord, where are you? I would imagine even thinking further upon this year that we've had all kinds of hurricanes this year, and the season's not over. Had one come into the coast this past week. We didn't get any rain from it, so it seems. The downgraded to Hurricane uh, Category 2 is it hit Louisiana, but Louisiana's been bombarded. By hurricanes this year. And people have to start over who may have been a predicament, a situation, Lord, where are you? I mean, many things have happened. 2020 has been a struggle. And it's saying, Lord, where are you? Throughout this year. But I recognize it's not just one year that has been difficult with some hardship. And there's been generations that have sometimes said under the breath, Lord, where are you? Even the psalmist in chapter 10, verse 1, said his rendition of, Lord, where are you? When he said, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? It's been going on for generations. It's not just happened this year. Or people utter under their breath or somehow voice aloud, like maybe Martha is, Lord, where are you? If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have not died. So the question then is, where is the Lord when bad things begin to happen and unfold? And they will, and they do. Where is the Lord? Where was the Lord when Lazarus died? Where was the Lord when something happened to you? Well, we can answer by saying he's not that far off. I mean, for proximity-wise, according to text, he's within two miles, physically. But when things happen to any of us, he's still not that far away. Not in proximity means of two miles or closer in a radius, but he's there. And he's always there waiting for us and helping us through it. I mean, the point we're making is not the point of the text. We'll get into that later. But it's a sub point which tells us this, a timeless truth, that Jesus is always there. He never leaves you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you, as mentioned in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. He always comes. He will always come if we let him in. 
That's the truth we've got to believe. He never leaves us alone to endure the pain. He is there, ready for you. I mean, yes, bad things happen to good people, and that is incredibly unfair and unfortunate. But in the midst of the sadness, the sorrow, and the suffering, we are not alone. The fact is, we do live in a fallen world. Even further, we live on an unsafe planet. But we are never alone to fight our battles and to mourn and to grieve by ourselves. He is always there. And he's there for Martha and Mary. I mean, in the text, Martha and Mary were greatly anticipating the Lord Jesus to come. And he did. Was it in their timing that they would have liked to have seen Jesus come? I mean, the text reveals for us probably it wasn't in the timing that they had hoped it would be. But the fact remains, Jesus always comes. He is there if we're willing to let him in. A sub-point that comes from the chapter in the text. But as we realize that, let's go back and look at it one more time and see something else that occurs. Because notice here, that Jesus did not reprimand. When, when Martha faces him, in whatever way she went to greet him, to be with him, anticipating him, he didn't reprimand her. When she says, if only you were here, he would not have died, notice the Lord did not reprove Martha for saying those words. I mean, if you scan the text, looking for a place where Jesus looks right back at Martha and said, Martha, you know I'm Jesus, I'm God's son now. Why do you say that to me? He didn't rebuke her in any way for her voicing that to Jesus. That, Lord, if you'd have been here, he would not die. We don't see any evidence of Jesus rebuking her and reproofing her for that. Which then leads us to conclude this, that Jesus permits us to speak to him, to open our hearts and cry out to him, to pour out our pain and our anguish that we're feeling. I mean, he allows us, he permits us to speak directly to him. I mean, I'd be completely lying to you if I did not tell you in December of 2003 when my dad died, if I did not have anguish and pour out my heart to God when that occurred. I mean, my brother and sister all dealt with it differently, so did my mom and anybody who knew my dad. But for me, my way of dealing with it was to get in the truck, drive to the woods where we hunt, get into a tree stand, and just pour out my heart in pain and anguish for what just happened. You know, so Jesus, as Martha is, is maybe upset, maybe even a little angry, Jesus then, he permits us to pour out our hearts and cry out to him. So as we see that, it's happened to all of us perhaps, and, and we know our Lord's been there for us and we can cry out to him, we shouldn't ever think it's a sin to tell Jesus how we feel. I mean, as you read chapter 11 later, you'll find Jesus' reaction, his own self. When he got there, when he found out about Lazarus, in John chapter 11, verse 35, the shortest scripture reference in the Bible, you find two words. Jesus wept. It's okay to pour our hearts out to him. It's not a sin to tell Jesus how we're feeling. But remember, he is the son of God. 
and be reverent and fully respectful to him. Don't curse him, but cry out to him. Be reverent and respectful. I mean, all creatures must bow to him as all men one day will bow. But yet the observation is that Jesus did not rebuke Martha for her words, but rather answered with an absolute truth. He, he heard her, he knows her heart, and he answers with an absolute truth that we can all gain from. So let's go back again and notice the Lord's response. I mean, Martha verse 21 says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So Jesus, look how he replied. First, he replied in verse 23. Your brother will rise again. Well, then look at Martha's reaction once more. Well, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. When the Jesus then said the verse we're wanting to key upon, verse 25, he said directly to her, I am. It's me. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Then what did he say to her? Do you believe this? And then she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming to the world. It's the fifth in the conversation that occurs after she runs to meet Jesus, it's the fifth great I am statement made in the Gospel of John. And the one that we key upon this morning. And it gives us our major focal point and the theme of the entire chapter. I am the resurrection. That is, whoever believes in me will live, even though he or she dies. If you believe in him, you shall live. Even if you die, you shall live. He says, I am the life. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. That's what the whole focal point he's trying to get her to understand. It is not just singly to Martha that he wants people to understand this. It's for every generation, for every believer who ever read the scriptures, that he is the resurrection and he is the life. That's the entire focal point of the text. But then as he conveys that truth, which is our point that we're focused upon to Martha, that we apply directly to our lives, you've got to see one more time what he says to her. Do you believe this? He makes his point. She ran to him. And he says, I am. She seems to know about the resurrection. But he says, I am the resurrection alive. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And her response, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. I mean, listen, Martha had been tested with grief and loss, and misery, and pain, and sadness, and sorrow, and suffering. And she asked the Lord directly to his face, where are you? And stated the if only, if only you'd been here. But we see ultimately her faith, and that Martha allowed her Savior to bring her forth as gold refined by fire. 
Martha has grown. She might have been upset in a moment, might have even have been angry, but she's grown a lot since that old episode in Luke chapter 10. She's grown because she recognizes Jesus is the resurrection. Now, he asked her yes to believe this, but she's had a lot of growth. And we see her faith become evident. When he says, do you believe this? She says, yes. She doesn't really have to, mm, you know, let me think about it. Ask me tomorrow about the same time and I'll get back with you. She says immediately, yes, Lord. Yes, I believe. And that's notable because it displays her faith and her belief of the truth that Jesus wants us to understand about that I am statement. One commentary I was reading actually said that Martha's confession was as great as Peter's. What's he referring to? He was referring to Peter's confession also of Jesus back in Matthew chapter 16. Read the account with me. It says, now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he said to his disciples, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, who we can fully respect, has also had some growth. And he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Of which then they've all believed. But it actually prompts a question for all of us here today. Whom do you believe? Jesus to be? Whom do you believe Jesus to be? Because you got to know. People know you're here this morning. They know you say you had a relationship with a man named Jesus. Whom do you say Jesus is? And today we entertain that question. We answer that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That he who believes in him will live. You'll live even though you die. You perish. Your body fades away. It goes in the grave. You die. But you live forever. Whoever lives and believes in Jesus will never die. Jesus is the Christ, the Son, the only Son of God. He is our Savior. Do you believe this? Do you believe this is who Jesus is? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that Jesus is the only Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world? Do you believe this? The text we read today is very familiar with us. It's from an account that we know for years. But the text we read today is full of a very powerful truth, so much so that some refer to it as the most startling announcement of human history. They say all the great I am statements, and there's a lot of them. Every one of them are fantastic. I mean, I don't know how you can get past John 14, 6, to be honest with you, but many say this is the most startling announcement of human history. Now, why could that be said? Why could this I am statement be the one of the greatest, most startling of human history? Because the words of our Lord Jesus reveals the incredible truth that physical death is not the end of a life or a believer. 
His most startling announcement because it does not tell us that we physically actually die. Physical death is not the end of a life or believer. The Lord is referring to the continuing existence of eternal life. Jesus rises to the occasion. As everyone knows, remember a large gathering of people have come to mourn with Martha and Mary. And he lets everyone know, as all this has happened, that he is the way, the truth, the life. And only through him can you have eternal life. Only through him can you have everlasting, eternal bliss to be with the Father in heaven. It simply says this, to believe in Jesus means death lies defeated. As Paul had written in 1 Corinthians 15, we finish with this. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives every one of us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To believe in Jesus means that death lies defeated. Father, Lord, we thank you for the truthfulness of this message that we receive today. I pray, Lord, that all of us and just reflect upon it, truly believe it, take it to heart. What a remarkable story, Lord, we find of Lazarus raising from the dead. But, Lord, it conveys to us the truth that our physical death is not the end. It really, Lord, is it's just the beginning. And today we capture that in our message. It gives us the hope that every one of us need to have in life. And today we're full of thankfulness. And we pray then, Lord, as we're thankful for you giving us this hope that we shall receive the beginning of the eternity, Lord, of the life thereafter. We want to pray right now, Lord, because it means that maybe people that we know and love who has not yet realized this truth. People we know, Lord, may be thinking that, de that physical death is the end. Whereas we, we, we know, Lord, it is not. We're thankful for that. But, Lord, we want to pray for ourselves and pray for those who may not have yet made this truth to know Jesus in their life as Lord. Let's reflect upon now, Lord, and pray for them. We're thankful for us having come to know your son, but we want to pray for those who have not. So we lift them up to you now, Lord, collectively together. You know our thoughts, Lord. You know our concerns. And we pray now, Lord, for those that we love who have not come to this truth. We lift them to you now, Lord. Hear our prayer for them. Stir in their heart greatly. Convict them of their sin. But yet we're thankful now for the sacrifice you made for us. In your name we pray. Amen.